welcome to episode seven of Slaytanic Vercast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Each week, we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics, and giving a final appraisal. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from an empty and vandalised public library in Basildon, it's Dr. Lequescence. How you doing, Doc? I'm very well, thank you very much. What, what, what finds you in a library, sir? Um, oddly enough, I needed to consult some books. Hmm. Um, and just for once, they're not ancient, dark and forbidden grimoires. Mm -hmm. um, I needed to... Um, no, they're not musty terms at all. Um, there's one about beekeeping for fun and profit. Mm -hmm. um, and there's another one about how to cook meat. As to why I'm studying beekeeping and the cooking of meat, given what you know about my, my pastimes um, and what one might loosely call my day job, even though sure. it should really be a night job, well, mm -hmm. all will become clear um, in the weeks that come. Um, I will just lead by saying this. Um, I'm angry with myself because I've wasted three noses recently. Oh, no. Um, the tongue graft, as you can probably tell, took really quite quickly and really quite readily, and I haven't had any trouble with it. But well, you, I can't you, get the noses to stay on. Your accent has changed a little because previously you had a very broad black country accent, but now you speak... With almost uh, almost RP, it, it, it's an amazing transformation. Yeah, I mean, um, once again, I should have been more diligent in my documentation, um, and it's probably got something to do with the um, <clears throat> we'll loosely say donor of this particular tongue. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, but um, who, who, who whoever owned it before I uh, I took possession of it. Um, but yeah, uh, being good with the tongues, uh, being very wasteful with the noses. Um, mm -hmm. And there's 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 a few things I need to study before um, I uh, I go back into the chest freezer again. Well, we hope that in the coming months your your face will be fully formed at last. Um, a few things I want to mention um, before we kick off properly. Um, this is day three of lockdown here in France, second national lockdown. And I've decided to do a dry lockdown. So no more beer for Mo. What do you think? Um, now, um, I believe that um, other people in the UK uh, occasionally observe. Um, is it Stoptober? Never heard of that one. I've heard of dry January, but Stoptober, yeah, that, that, I, like, I like the ring of that. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's quite nice, isn't it? So um, I suppose... The idea would be that if you observe Stoptober and Dry January, you sort of give your 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 liver and your internal systems um, a bit of a break, both before and after Christmas and New Year. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. I think this is the first time I've gone three days without a beer, probably in about fifteen years. Mo is thirsty. Um, are you working towards a target, or are you? Are you just going to run with this and uh, and see how long, like, see if it lasts one month, two months? What's the, no, point? Well, the mundane truth is I feel like I need to lose a little bit of weight. And so my aim is to try and lose about six and a half kilos. In real money, six and a half kilos is about one stone. So I'd like to lose a stone over the next month or so, if it's possible. Um, it's very ambitious, isn't it? 
well, you know, I've got nothing. I've got nothing, nothing better to do to do rather other than not drink and go running for an hour a day. You know, um, we're not allowed to do much else, so why not? Um, second thing, what do you think of my new haircut, Doc? Um, it's splendid. Mm -hmm. um, it's very short. It is. Um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, be, being being a doctor, um, I can't help but point out it'll be much much easier to um, observe basic personal hygiene. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, you, you've got next to no uh, risk of lice infestation. I feel. <laughs> and um, of course, that was my primary my primary concern. No, I, I, I've, um, I've 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 always thought the um, uh, is, 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 is it is it a suede head? Would you call that a suede head? Um, I don't know. I mean, I just call it grade one. But yeah, suede head. It's logical. The feel of it, I suppose. Yeah, um, I always thought it suited you. Well, I, I thought I'd go for the cue ball. Um, I wanted to look like somebody equally equally at home at a far-right national front rally and gay pride. And I think I've pulled it off. Before we start the episode proper, I want to geek out for a little bit, if you will indulge me. Um, as you know, I've been doing a, a full rewatch of a show that is beloved to both of us, Babylon 5. Um, yes, indeed. Now, anybody who hasn't seen Babylon 5 and feels like they may do in the near future, maybe skip forward a couple of minutes at this point. Okay, if you're still with us, you have been warned. Spoilers ahoy. Um, I've just got to the point, Doc. I don't know if you remember this, because I don't think you've seen this show in about 20 years, based on our conversations. That's right. um, there's a fabulous three-parter in the middle of season three, that kind of leads to the mid-season climax. Um, I think they're called. I think they're called "Messages from Earth," "Point of No Return," and "Severed Dreams." Now, this is the point where the corrupt president on Earth declares martial law, um, and Sheridan, the captain of, of, of Babylon Five, and, and, and his posse. Um, decide to secede from Earth and, and to declare independence. And of course, Clark's response is to send the, the Earth's military might after after them and to, and you know to try to um, take back the station. Um, during this process, what happens is Sheridan is on the bridge of the station itself, and two. Battle cruisers. I'm not quite sure of the, of, the, of the exact name of the ships, but I'm going to call them battle cruisers. Jump at the station and appear. Um, and, and, you know, Sheridan is, is obviously a bit nervous. As this happens, four more jump gates open. And we, we think, oh my God, it's more Earth forces. But no, in fact, it's the Mimbari arriving with Delenn in the, in the lead ship. Um, she faces off against the, the two battle cruisers, and they engage in a little bit of conversation, a bit of dialogue. Um, Delenn says to them, withdraw. And the Earth battle cruisers reply, negative. We have authority here. Do not force us to engage your ship. At this point, Delenn's response is just fabulous. She says, why not? Only one human captain has ever survived battle with the Minbari fleet. He is behind me. You are in front of me. If you value your lives, be somewhere else. Wow, Doc, it's absolutely sensational. I was bouncing around the room after that sequence. Awesome. 
if you're a sci-fi geek, if you're a sci-fi nerd and you have not watched Babylon 5, trust me, introduce it into your lives. You will not regret it. Thoughts, Doc? Do you remember that, 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 that whole scenario? Absolutely, um, I do. And mm. in order to establish my geek credentials, mm. um, I'm going to fill in a lacuna here. I believe the Earth battle cruisers are named the Agamemnon and the Hector. Oh, wow. Then, 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 this is uh, the, the good doctor's photographic memory coming into play here, which is always very, very impressive. Should we get on to the, onto the episode proper? I think we should. So let's start, as usual, with uh, corrections, uh, because we are nothing if not utter buffoons and we, and we frequently make mistakes um today we've only got one correction really last episode <clears throat> when we were discussing the key elements that comprise a slayer track you good doctor asked me if there are if there were any stops in black magic something i'm sure we can both agree are requisite components of any good slayer track um now, despite the fact we'd only just heard the fucking song. I said I didn't think there were, but of course there are. Um, as Kerry, I think it is, launches into the verse riff for the first time before Tom kicks in with his lyrics, Jeff and Dave stab away with a few prime Slayer stops. It's right at the start of the song. Listen back to it. It's sensational. What fools we were. Well, it caught me out that they, they, they weren't in the place I was expecting them to be. That's true. Um, yes. And there was no repetition but, of them. Um, I, I, I count myself abashed. Mm. We, we, we are both duly chastened. Um, yes. The topic for the week, Doctor, um, talk to me, if you will, about the most embarrassing interview with a band you've ever seen or read. What comes to mind? Honestly, um, I'm kind of struggling because there are lots that sort of had me cringing at a certain thing mm. the person said, mm -hmm. and uh, almost too many to name. Um, whether it's 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 Paul Diano letting the side down horribly and talking about how um, uh, the maiden ain't nothing but birds and booze. Now, um, remind me, you're, you're more of a, 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 a music historian than me. Diana was booted from the band for basically living too much of a rock and roll lifestyle, like drink, drugs and women. Am I, am I correct? I believe this, that was kind of the, uh, the story that was put about. Mm. I would find it far easier. I, 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 at that stage of their career, I don't know how much of a rock and roll lifestyle Iron Maiden could afford to lead, uh, to, mm. to, lead, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, and I don't imagine the rest of the band being particularly angelic in their um, sort of uh, self-respectful use of uh, various stimulants and mm. uh, their particularly respectful use of um, other people either. Um, back, back to the question, Doc. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm going to have to say it was an interview that Glenn Benton did um, with Terrorizer. For the date. For the listeners, Doc, who, who may not know, remind us who Glenn Benton is, please. Sorry, uh, Glenn Benton is the vocalist and bass player and effectively spiritual leader. And mm. I, I, I say spiritual leader um, in a very pointed sense because the band or organisation of which he is the spiritual leader is Deerside. Of course. Um, 
came to prominence in the very late 80s and very early 90s mm. um, as the premier exponents of what was by the standards at the time, probably the most extreme form of death metal. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of extremity, I think they probably edge out even Morbid Angel. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's an interesting observation. I mean, there's certainly, I think it's a bit like, uh, you know, the difference between, who can we think? Well, I mean, let's say the difference between Slayer and Metallica. You know, I think Slayer are clearly faster and more aggressive but Metallica are clearly heavier, you know? And I think you can make a, a similar comparison between the two bands, Deicide being the Slayer equivalent and Morbid Angel being the Metallica equivalent. Don't scream at me, Metallica fan, uh, Morbid Angel fans. I'm not comparing the two. I'm simply making an analogy. It's interesting, isn't it, how so many scenes throughout history uh, have evolved a big four. Mm. Um, the big four thrash bands, everyone knows about the big four death bands everyone knows about. And out of the big four, there's always two. Uh, you've always got your Beatles and your Stones. Who would you say the big are, four uh, death, death metal bands, Doc? Um, Morbid Angel, Deicide, mm -hmm. um, Death, mm -hmm. um, and Obituary. Yeah, the, it was the fourth one I was struggling with, but yes, yeah, I will go with that, sure. Um, if other people wish to nominate, their, I, I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out here and say that uh, Deicide and Morbid Angel own places one and two yeah um, your, your mileage may vary mm. um, and it might even be interesting to get other, other people's opinions now Glenn um, Benton um, if, if, if memory serves this is the the, the the fine gentleman that had an inverted crucifix branded on, was it either onto his forehead or between his eyes one or the other well, it's, it's it's kind of both. I mean, it, 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 it's, the, the shaft starts at, at his hairline um, and does indeed continue between his eyes. Um, and then the, the, the bar just skirts his... Um, and he, he didn't merely have it branded. Um, according to him, he did it every morning. He heated up a silver cross on his stove every morning and reinforced the brand <laughs> daily. To keep the Holy Spirit away. Um, so it's a subject too broad for um, this podcast and um, it could at least do with a whole episode in itself. I don't know how committed people think Glenn Benton was to actually being a Satanist mm. and how much of it was just image and just marketing. Mm -hmm. um, back in the early 90s, he managed to convince a great number of easily led or easily shocked people that he was absolutely a for real Satanist um, would go to great lengths to stoke up any form of popular media. Um, the more populist conservative and the more Christian orientated, the better. Mm -hmm. um, and um, <clears throat> I think in the end, it, it became a bit of a patter. It became a bit of a spiel for him. Um, and he turned in a really, really embarrassing interview with Terrorizer, um, who at the time were the mainstream professional production who were most likely to have given him a sympathetic hearing. Mm -hmm. Terrorizer interviews were... Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Doc, again, for the listeners, remind us of um, what is Terrorizer? Um, I don't even know if it still exists or not. I don't think um, it does. In, 
in the mid to late 90s, at least, I lost track of it probably around the year 2000, 2001. In the mid to late 90s, at least, there was perceived to be, um, by many people, including me, a need for a magazine that um, effectively took up from where Kerrang! or Metal Hammer left mm -hmm. off yeah. and um, left um, Kerrang! to cover the, we'll say loosely hard rock commercial metal end, uh, Metal Hammer to go to a, a bit heavier than that. So mm. your, your, your typical issue would be Kerrang! would have um, Iron Maiden on the cover, Metal Hammer would have Metallica <clears throat> on the cover. Mm -hmm. um, from pretty much the same parent publishing company, um, so there are no way rivals, but for a smaller, more lightweight publication um, that would cover things that started from roughly where Metal Hammer left off. Um, so um, this was coming right off the um, wild press furor of um, Norwegian black metal, mm. um, which was itself coming off the wild press furor of satanic death metal. Mm -hmm. um, so for, um, fear of, for fear that this will be our first ever three-hour episode, let's get back to the uh, Glenn Benton crazy interview, or embarrassing interview, shall we say? Well, um, despite being, I won't say pitched, so, uh, sort of uh, thrown a soft ball, they set out what they usually did. Um, you know, we're, we're interested in um, Deerside's effectively philosophy um, and mm. religious opinions. Um, and Glenn Benton had nothing to talk about but drinking beer and getting stoned. I never for one second believed uh, his kind of, his, you know, true Satanism claims. For me, it was, it was always, always image. Um, my embarrassing interview that I'm going to talk about um, is, is with um, Axel Rose, he of Good right. Roses fame. Now, <clears throat> I think it was in 1996, Guns N' Roses supported Iron Maiden on the, uh, at the Monsters of Rock Festival. I think there were six or seven bands. I seem to remember Slash's, no, no, it couldn't have been Slash's Snake Pit, could it? That wouldn't make any sense. I think Therapy might have been there. Um, GNR were last but one, and then Maiden were obviously the headliners. Um, and... I, I believe it was MTV interviewed him. Now, what was the name of the show, Doc? Um, oh, the metal show. Was it Head, Headbangers Ball? Headbangers Ball. That's it, yes. yes. So I, 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 I presume it was Headbangers Ball were interviewing him. Um, and he spent, <laughs> he spent five minutes banging on about how amazing Guns N' Roses were, how terrible Iron Maiden are, um, and how, you know, Iron Maiden were past it, Guns N' Roses were, were, were the new blood, um, you know, Guns N' Roses would be recording albums long after Iron Maiden, the members of Iron Maiden were dead. It was, it, it was just cringeworthy. And of course, history has proven him to be quite, quite incorrect. The bands on the bill, or do you think that you're completely... Maybe only in attitude in some of them, I mean, Ross done all kinds of material. Um, I like Kiss in their early days. I, you know, I think the only thing that we have in common with Kiss now is that you know they like to make money and they like girls. But as far as their music go, you know, basically their music's like second fiddle to their other desires. Our music comes first. Have you got anything in common with Iron Maiden? I hope not. 
I don't know. They're not. I mean, they're nice guys, but you know, it's like political organizations. You know, your band's like a political thing, um, and your your music or your album's kind of like your political stance. Well, theirs is completely different ours than ours, and I think theirs doesn't have anything to do with rock and roll, as far as I'm concerned. We're a rock and roll band. Yeah, um, what they do is what they do. I don't know what it is, and I hope to never be like that. Hope it's not catchy. Well, it, I suppose that the, the thing that's worth bearing in mind is if he'd been saying it 10 years previously, mm. his words might have carried some weight mm. um, and they might have been believable. Mm -hmm. um, but this is sort of like between then and now, um, Guns N' Roses took a stupidly long hiatus um, mm -hmm. and then phoned in two extremely forgettable albums sure. um, and then did approximately nothing. And... Yeah. Um, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? Um, how the people who are cutting edge for a split second mm -hmm. let the world let the world pass them by so very very easily. Mm -hmm. He just came across um, as um, you know spectacularly naive and kind of weirdly bitter. You know, given given that he you know his band was so successful at the time and that you know they'd been given this great stage by you know another great band. I don't know what he was playing at. I think he was just trying to be controversial for the sake of controversy. He just came across as a bit of a tit. Nothing else to say about it. Shall we move on to the um, to the song? Absolutely. Let's go. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here, we play the track, pause it from time to time to discuss what we're listening to, and generally, just get on down. This week's song is track seven, from Show No Mercy called Tormenta. <laughs> surprising start doom as fuck um yeah and um when i listened back to this again um as is happening quite often um, i couldn't help but crack a big stupid grin mm. because it's in that intro in nothing but that first 30 seconds of a not very well remembered slayer track mm -hmm. um you've got a whole genre of 90s metal um you've got death doom mm -hmm. right there Sure. Every single thing you need to know about it. Death Doom. Who are the main protagonists? Are we are we talking the Peaceville Three here? Um, I'm specifically thinking of My Dying Bride. Um, I feel as though um, <clears throat> I kind of apologise to Death Doom fans out there, and I kind of don't. Um, I kind of don't because it would be a terrible world if we all had the same opinion as everything. My toleration or my tolerance for Death Doom mm. um, is short. Mm -hmm. um, I feel the songs are always overlong, mm -hmm. not because I'm scared of long songs, um, but they're overlong. There's no need to play the exact same acoustic intro over and over for three and a half minutes mm -hmm. and then play the same warmed over Sabbath riff for another 17 minutes. And I, I, my, my eyes just glaze over um, mm. after a little while. And I, 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 I know there are people out there who love that stuff and it's their, their favorite form of music. And honestly, if it's the gathering, um, 
then bring it on. I'll listen to that all day. Mm. Um, R- but remind us, I mean, the gathering as in the band, or is that the name of an album, Doc? Um, no, it's a band. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, okay, if it's the band, that's the Dutch band, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Who are as far from cookie cutter death doom um, as anything can be, but mm. they, they they got a lot of support from that scene, um, and they were. I won't say lumped in with, but they they, they played a lot of shows um, mm. with bands from with with self-described um, death doom bands. Mm. Um, I saw them, I believe, in Bradford in about 1997, wow, um, okay. and so I've, I've I've got all the time in the world for the gathering. Mm. Um, some of those other bands, oh my goodness, uh, Babylon Sad. Um, oh, I don't have all the time in the world for. Mm. Um, uh, sad whisperings. Um, <laughs> there's a theme developing. Yes, there is. Um, and there's another one as well, if anyone knows the records I'm talking about. Um, I don't swear much on this program, but I have to say the most fuck awful covers in the history. Um, yeah, the most fuck awful covers in the history of heavy metal, which, apart from hip hop, has probably produced more fuck awful album covers than any other kind of music in the <laughs> world ever. Mm. Um, Death Doom, it, 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 is, it, it is a genre that I flirt with. Um, it's certainly not my favourite, but, you know, I, I think some of the early Anathema stuff is, is, is fabulous. Um, you know, there's some, some of the early Paradise Lost, Lost stuff I really like. And then, you know, you have. For me, the, the 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 true masters of death doom uh, from Finland, the fabulous Amorphis. Um, and I think what we're coming down to here is that um, when I first heard of Paradise Lost, um, they were self-described as gothic metal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think death doom was probably a journalist's phrase. Um, probably to, right. Not not to lump. Not to lump together a bunch of bands, but um, as a way of sort of, because I mean, there's very, very little in connection between Amorphous and Paradise Lost and mm-hmm. The Gathering, mm-hmm. um, but Death Oblique Stroke Doom or Death Doom mm-hmm. um, was sort of a, a, a nice way that music journalists could could sort of do that thing that Amazon do when you order a book nowadays and go, if you like that, you'll mm. love this. You're right. But it, there's, there's um, logic to it, you know, because it is doom, but it's heavier. Yeah, um, there's logic to it. And then I think what happened, whenever you have a label, you have a bunch of come lately's who mm. decide that they're going to... Um, and they're, they're the people who would have been in a tedious generic thrash band in the, in, in the early 90s, just mm-hmm. missing the boat. Yeah. They would have been in, then they would have changed their style to have been a tedious generic death band in 1995, just missing mm. the boat. Mm. Um, and then by 1997 or 1998, they'd have um, probably put out an album on Napalm Records um, and the, the write-up under the advert would have gone, New Death Doom! Let's press one. Definitely. You know, following um, following the full on thrash on thrash on slaughter of black magic. You know, we 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 we've gone back to um, metal storm face the slayer territory. I reckon. 
Yeah. Now, Slayer are consistently doing something a lot on this album. It's two influences who've consistently been massive throughout the history of metal, but very rarely in the same place at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought um, that drawing influences from Sabbath and Maiden and Priest had ever particularly by the same band in the same place at the same time had ever really been done but mm-hmm. oh my goodness it's being done here now isn't it sure yes you, no doubt about it let's see what happens next <laughs> I really love Tom's voice. There's something about his delivery in this song that just really, really works. It, it, it suits the music perfectly. Absolutely. Um, it's got a scale and a reach um, mm. and a breadth. If you've only ever heard later Slayer before, as good as his vocals are on that, mm-hmm. and as unfitted to that material as this style is, I kind of wish he'd do more in that style because he's really really good at it yeah he's surprising now you know to the uninitiated they would scoff at what i'm about to say but you know he's surprisingly melodious on the vocals Chorus, really. I mean, the Slayer—it's almost catchy, isn't it? Oh God, that's a a, a single—that's that, a punch the air single on Belter. Mm. Um, you want your muscle car on a motorway very, very late at night on a, a very lightly policed motorway very, very late at night to uh, do the ten twenty and uh, roll your window down and pedal to uh, the metal. shout Lip- along to that one. Yeah, pedal to the metal. Listen to a bit of Tormentor. Let's press on. <laughs> much to add here really because obviously it's just a progression uh, just a repetition of the uh, verse chorus structure but i do like that that, that, that you know that, that that three harmonics that, that i don't know which one of them playing here but it, it sounds glorious very maiden of course but it sounds glorious do we know are the vocal harmonies done by um the same guy or are they done by like is is there another member of the band who's doing backing vocals in in, in the section where you can hear the vocal harmonies yeah, that's a great question. Now, you know, I've seen plenty of um, early Slayer. I don't think I've ever seen another member singing along. I don't. I don't recall ever seeing a second microphone. The couple of Slayer shows I've been to, which admittedly were later than this, they've mm. never even had microphones set up for anyone else's vocals. No, I don't. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's possible that we that we are absolutely incorrect, and if so, you know, it, it, you know, this will be covered in a future correction slot. Um, 
But no, I don't think so. I, I imagine this is just double or double or treble chat, uh, double or treble tracking Tom's own voice. I suspect. What do you reckon? Sure. Um, yeah. I think you're probably right. <laughs> Did you hear there, Doc? One. One. I think there were two. I think there was a change in there. Go somewhere. ahead. No, I mean I, I, I can't prove it, but it's 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 just my it's just my instinct. I, I thought there was a transition there somewhere where, where you know where, where, where they swap places. What did you think about the end of the solo? Um, very unusual for Slayer. I think. Um, okay, so point number one. Um, I need to defer to your experience, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of say authority. Um, I believed I could only hear one. Um, mm. I believe it was played in the style that people normally ascribe to Kerry King. And, and what about the ending? I, I, I found that quite um, anachronistic for Slayer, really. Yeah, but I, I just can't write it up as anything other than um, this is a song for the various musicians to absolutely have fun. Sure. The bass player and the drummer are just uh, rip, rip, uh, riffing off Steve and Nico all the way. No, I mean you've you've got like the um, you've got the trademark licks, you've got the the, the trademark um, Ari um, like shit high runs right up onto the eighteenth fret. Um, mm. Then you've got the the um, the Nico trademarks where if it was. Nico with his road budget, he'd have um, about 42 toms um, <laughs> lined up all, all, all right. next to each other to be. When Nico starts a, a, a tom roll, you, you, you never quite know how long it's going to last. <laughs> let, let, let's press on. <laughs> Another solo here makes me think that perhaps you were correct, Doc, and you know, and, and this is the other guitarist's time to have a go. Well, let's listen to it and see what kind of a solo it is. Here we go. <laughs> Tormentor by Slayer from their debut album Show No Mercy. What do you think, Doc, about that that, that second solo? Um, I'm sort of at a loss now because <laughs> um, it certainly wasn't um, what I've sort of chalked up as a a, a textbook Hanneman solo. It, it doesn't seem to have any of his classic moves in it. No, it um, wasn't. It wasn't chromatic particularly. It wasn't. There's there no real melody no. to it. 
Um, Correct. It was just a, you know, a bit of a, a bit of fretboard wankery with with some uh, a bit of tremolo waggling. I'm just more than prepared to chalk up the song um, as one in which the members of Slayer just decide they're going to have fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's 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 practically Slayer doing cosplay. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you've you've pretty much got um, pretty much got the bass player and the drummer role playing their respective roles in Iron Maiden, and you've got the two guitarists role-playing their respective roles in Judas Priest. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 I, I, um, <clears throat> if it was nowadays where every song has a video to it, I think they would probably be dressed up and have wigs to make them look like uh, Glenn Tipton and K.K. Downing. <laughs> um, um, well, if, if you've seen uh, some of the get-up that Kerry used to wear back in the early days, you know, he, he was cosplaying as... As, as the boys from Judas Priest live on stage anyway. I was very, very surprised by this song. I, I couldn't, to be honest, I couldn't really remember it until I heard it, you know, in, in preparation for this episode. It really took me by surprise. I did not expect, um, like, the doom metal influences at the start. I did not expect uh, it to be kind of just like a, a good rollicking new album song effectively admittedly with kind of a thrash tinge to it but but not much of one and once again i'm probably going to risk the wrath of many people here so i'm going to whisper this quite quietly it's also much much better than any actual new album song you might ever iron maiden accepted Mm -hmm. um it's much better than anything you could reasonably accept expect from Saxon or Gaskin <laughs> or Witchfinder General. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the band Saxon, but whenever I hear their name, I just can't help but chuckle. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I can't help but chuckle when I hear the name of the band Gaskin. <laughs> <laughs> it was a strange period of music. Um, <laughs> general thoughts about that song, Doc, before we, before we move on to the lyrics? Take it for what it is. Um, don't expect it to be particularly cutting edge don't expect it to be particularly out there or challenging or fast or slayer-tastic um it's a bunch of guys really really enjoying themselves Mm. and i expect giving their audience an absolute blast yeah i tend to agree Welcome to part three of the show, Evil Speak. Here, we read through and dissect the lyrics that Tom screams in our faces. So, here goes. Verse one. Free to walk the street, in the cowardice all alone. The darkness of the night, in God's own blessed soul. Hoping for relief from the fear you inside. Losing our perspective of reality in the night. Afraid to walk the streets, in the coldness all alone. The blackness of the night engulfs your flesh and bones, hoping for relief from the fear you feel inside, losing all perspective of reality in the night. First impression, Stuck. And the one thing I can't get away from from this is that they are continuing the um, the very convincing role play, um, but basically that they're, they're role playing the wobbum here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what draws me to this conclusion is. Um, obviously, it, it's 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 a predator narrative. It's a hunter and the hunted narrative, sure. um, and that seems to be a bit of a staple subject um, for Nawabam bands um, and Nawabam songs. So Iron Maiden had Prowler, Judas mm-hmm. Priest had Nightcrawler. Oh yes, um, the, of course. Night, night, the, the, Nightcrawler the, the, is, 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 is this predates Nightcrawler by five or six years at least. 
So I suppose, can we say when Judas Priest were uh, made, made Nightcrawler, um, mm. they were well in, Judas Priest were well into their back to the well phase sure. of their career. Oh, yes, and certainly. if they wrote a song about a certain subject, they'd probably at some point earlier in their career written one about the same subject that I am ignorant of. No, I totally agree. Yes, I totally agree. I was just trying to prevent the flurry of emails that we would have received if we hadn't pointed that out. I think there are two stories going on here, if not three. Um, but I won't expand on it just, just yet until we've gone through the, 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 the chorus lyrics, if you don't mind. Um, well, I have one more thing to say about this yeah, first verse. Go on. It's what convinces me that... It, it's it, it's what convinces me that they're role playing here, yeah. Um, or if you like, uh, self consciously writing an Awabam song. Um, I'm perfectly prepared to accept that Southern California um, can be uh, can have places that are blighted. It can have places that are violent. It can have places that are threatening. Mm. What I cannot accept about Southern California is that it's cold. Sure. Afraid to walk the streets in coldness all alone mm, mm, that's um, interesting i never thought of that yes their locale yeah even in the depths of winter it, it, you know it, 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 we can't really use the adjective cold can we they're self-consciously writing this song um from an awoban perspective Running through shadows, blinded by fear, the horror of nightfall is ever so near. I slowly surround you as terror sets in. Are you afraid of the night? Um, <clears throat> now I mentioned that the, I think there are three stories here. The first one is, is the one that we've already discussed, you know, a kind of mundane stalking situation, presumably of a woman, although it's not clear. Um, the second one, the same thing really, but the stalker is some kind of supernatural force, um, not, not human born, you know? Um, and, 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 and the line that, that, that makes me think that is that line, I slowly surround you, because I is the singular. And how does one person surround somebody, you know, unless it's some kind of like amorphous, amorphous presence, some dark inky presence, um, the third I'm one. I'm drawn to think of. Um, I'm drawn to think of the fog. Yeah, exactly. There's something from the X Files that I seem to remember that was what came to my mind, where there's some kind of inky black shadow that kind of moved around in the in in, in the night. I can't quite remember my reference, but there's something about that. Is is that the the one about the man who's being contaminated with dark matter from a black hole? Oh, God, I mean, it, it's just too long ago. There's just something tickling the, my, my cerebellum, basically. Sure. Um, I'm, in the light of what you've just said, and I completely mm. agree with you, mm. I'm, 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 drawn to think, I'm, I'm drawn to think of the fog. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes sense of other stuff as, as well. While still being a, a, a uniquely American horror perspective, um, the fog takes place on the Atlantic coast. Is it, um, I, I, I sort of assume that all movies of that kind take place in Maine because it's where mm -hmm. Stephen King is from. Sure. Um, Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, somewhere around there. Mm, um, Northeast, we're talking, so, aren't we? Yeah. Um, somewhere where it is cold. 
Mm. Um, somewhere where the idea of it being an amorphous entity or a mist or something of that kind is the only explanation that makes sense of I slowly surround you. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's just an interesting... Unless uh, it's a giant octopus. <laughs> I mean, it could be, I suppose, yes. Or one of those creatures from the Beastmaster. I don't know if you remember those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've, I've tickled myself for that reference. Um, <laughs> um. <coughs> Back to Slayer. Um, I have a third theory. Um, <clears throat> I think this could be depicting the tale of somebody experiencing a bad acid or mushroom trip um, and wandering the streets, basically. Now, there's a few lines here that make me think that. The blackness of the night engulfs your flesh and bones. Now, you know, as somebody who has on occasion dabbled with uh, hallucinogenics, I am very aware that, you know, the, the senses become very, very confused. And I can, you know, for example, I have picked up a polo mint and been able to taste the fucking thing, um, you know. So as it, if fingertips. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's, as if, it's as if the fingers can taste um, because, you know, just the connections in your brain just go, just go haywire. Um, so I can easily, I can easily imagine somebody tripping, imagining the, like the, the, the blackness of the night as some kind of strange inky substance that leaks and leaches into the body and, you know, and, and, and in, into the flesh and bones itself. Um, obviously, we've got the very obvious line, losing all perspective of reality in the night. Um, the line before that, hoping for relief from the fear you feel inside. Now, when you're tripping, especially if it's, if it's an unpleasant one, you know, the, the, the one thing you're thinking constantly is, please make this stop. Um, and, but of course, there's no off button, so there's nothing you can do about it. So it's, it's, it's like a forlorn hope. Um, what do you think about my, my, my thesis, Doc? It's perfectly it, reasonable. And if yeah. you're right, um, and I believe you could be, mm. then it's um, another example of um, Slayer doing something really, really interesting. Mm. Um, because... Um, we mentioned earlier on the one thing that Southern California isn't, it's cold. Mm -hmm. um, if we're talking about Southern California, Southern California has an ancient um, cultural history of the use of hallucinogenics. Sure. Um, it was in use for um, religious purposes um, by, amongst others, Native American groups um, who historically lived in the area now called Southern California um, and other parts of the Southwest. Um, and it was greatly in use um, during the, the sort of pioneer days of, of synthesized hallucinogenics, um, by which I mean LSD. Mm -hmm. um, there are naturally occurring hallucinogenics that, that, that grow in various kinds of fungi and various kinds of cactus yeah. on the California-Mexico border. Mm -hmm. um, and because of the, the culture of the locale, um, Hallucinogenic use in Southern California has generally been associated for right or wrong, but people have liked to try to associate it with enlightenment, um, with oneness, with nature. Um, so you, you, you sort of, um, even people who come from very rainy, gloomy parts of um, the United Kingdom, like, like, like we do, um, your image, probably one of the defining images of um, what acid heads look like, you think mm. of um, uh, hippies, um, 
in the desert somewhere between Southern California and Nevada, um, you know, having spiritual experiences and meeting their spirit guide, you're absolutely right. Um, the blackness of the night engulfs your flesh and bones, hoping for relief from the fear you feel inside. Mm. The only thing I would sort of add, um, it's a perspective on the use of hallucinogenics that Slayer encountered when they were on tour somewhere, mm -hmm. somewhere where it gets cold, somewhere where it gets dark, somewhere where there are threatening streets, yeah. um, somewhere where if you're not careful, you will end up with a face full of bad acid mm -hmm. um, or contaminated stuff or stepped on stuff. And I'm going to suggest that the place where they learned about this experience or had this experience is Northern California and it's somewhere like Oakland or San Francisco or something like that. Fair enough. Um, Let, let's move on to verse two and, and, and see what that brings us. I see the fright in your eyes as you turn and run, but is your mind playing tricks on a body so very young? Feeling as if no one cares, the fear runs down your spine. But I know I'll never rest until I know you're mine. Um, it's tough to find any evidence for my third hypothesis here, really. I mean, the mind playing tricks line is obviously uh, redolent of, of hallucin hallucinogenics. Um, but also, I suppose the feeling as if no one cares, you know, certainly, again, if you're having a bad trip, um, you know, you, you, it is possible to get very emotional, very paranoid um, and, you know, and start imagining that you're, you know, that even your very closest friends think, you know, consider you to be a, a despicable creature. So, you know, so it, it's not entirely out of the question, but this verse is certainly not as strong as, as the first verse in the chorus for my particular hypothesis, I would say. Um, I'm going to pick up your hypothesis and run with it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm influenced to think about this purely because of something I mentioned earlier on, which is that even though this predates the Judas Priest track, it has a narrative similarity to a Judas Priest track, uh, which is Nightcrawler. Yeah. Um, and I can't help but, and I know you think I do this too often, um, I can't help but observe a homosexual panic sure. angle uh, in this song. Um, it's the line on a body so very young mm -hmm. and um, whether or not it's intended to be, it's an incredibly creepy line. What do you, what, what do you really, mean by really homosexual line. panic? Can, can, we, can, can we clear up that expression for the listeners, please? Yeah, absolutely. It's an expression that derives, as far as I know, the first time I've come across it being used um, is in an essay called The Toad and the Study, um, which is a, a work of scholarship about the work of M.R. James, um, so I, I, I'm bringing it up here because I imagine M.R. James as a, write, a very influential writer of ghost stories mm -hmm. um, has probably familiar to the kind of people who might listen to Slayer. There is an essay called The Toad in the Study, um, which long after the fact, the author, quote unquote, came out, see what I did there, um, and said that he only wrote the essay as a joke um, for a Christmas essay. Uh, for a Christmas edition of the official, the, the sort of M.R. James official fan club magazine. Um, even though it was a joke, he felt it was his 
duty to make it academically and intellectually rigorous mm -hmm. and so academically and intellectually rigorous did he make it that um, it passed far beyond its original intent its, its original meaning as a joke um, and I suppose the thing is when is a joke not a joke when it's true mm. but, but, but let's get back to, the, to that initial phrase you know hom homosexual panic. So, homosexual panic in the essay uh, the chap says that a lot of what M.I. James' protagonists um, basically react to is M.I. James' own fear of his own deeply suppressed homosexuality. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so um, he's not saying that everyone who is given to having supernatural experiences, um, it's really their own queer side manifesting itself. I don't mm -hmm. think the guy is saying that at all. Um, what he's saying is that if you are somehow unwilling to accept it or unable to accept it, um, a homosexual aspect to your personality can very often feel like a haunting. Okay. Um, it can feel like um, uh, an alien, a, a, a spirit which is not part of your body that's attempting to possess you, um, make you do things that your conscious mind doesn't want to do with your own body. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I'm referring to about a homosexual panic angle. So are you suggesting um, that, are, are you suggesting that um, the, the, the lyrics here are written by Jeff Hanneman? Are you suggesting that, 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 that Jeff was somehow kind of closeted and was and was expressing this through these lyrics? Um, no, I don't think that poetry or fiction or anything um, has to come from the opinions or the experiences of the person writing them. Mm. Um, if I was, um, then I'm going to be reaching some pretty horrifying conclusions about the members of Slayer by the time we get to songs about Ed Gein and songs about Joseph Mengele. <laughs> That's true. Yes, you're right. We have a repetition of the of the chorus, and then let's get to the final verse. Now, the first four lines are the same as, in fact, the first six lines are the same as the first verse. Um, but then it changes. It, then it goes. I know you're I know you're mine, too late to hide, too late to save your life, tormentor. And that brings us to the conclusion of the song. Nothing really to mine from that for me regarding my hallucinogenic hypothesis. Um, and, and anything you can spot there, Doc? That mine, the I surround you, um, it's an external entity, mm. which I believe we can interpret as being um, either a, a, a literal external entity, a, a, a literal supernatural entity, um, as in the film The Fog. Mm -hmm. um, I believe there is mileage in considering it the the spirits, um, the, 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 the American spirits, which you have... Um, inadvisedly put yourself in touch with through the use of hallucinogenics. Mm -hmm. um, and I think coming up in third place, um, and only at a squeak, really, the spirit of um, effectively your, your own closeted desires, sure. um, which may be manifesting themselves under the influence of drugs, mm -hmm. may be manifesting themselves because you're in the big city and far away from the cosy suburbs. And whilst mm -hmm. it is threatening and whilst it is violent and it is dark and it is cold, um, you're also far away from um, the judgmental, hectoring, opinionated 
safe suburb or safe suburban town that you come from? I don't think these are great lyrics. I, I, I think it starts off very, very evocative, very uh, visual. I, I don't think they're particularly well written in a strange kind of way, um, but, but they do really, really work well within the context of the song. Um, so I suppose, you know, from that point of view, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the purpose of the lyrics is satisfied. Uh, but they won't stay in the mind. They won't stay in the mind in the memory for for very long. I don't feel the lyrics won't. Um, I feel as though what we can what we can understand from the shoddiness of the lyrics mm -hmm. as poetry or as narrative. Yeah, um, is that there's there's a story here, or there's mm -hmm. a set of feelings or a set of emotions that Mr. Hanneman very very badly wanted to communicate. Sure. That's kind of the only excuse um, for how badly written the song is. Um, I won't remember the individual words, mm. um, but the imagery which it, or the, which it's set in my head and the, the, the three simultaneous concepts which we've discussed mm. that it's set in my head, those won't leave me for really quite a long time. Should we move on? I think we should. <laughs> Welcome to part four of Slaytanic Verkast. Here, we just offer our final thoughts and summations, discuss anything we may have inadvertently missed along the way, and of course, give the all important final scores. But before we do that, some details, writing credits for this track, music by Mr. Jeff Hanneman, and lyrics by Mr. Jeff Hanneman. Um, from Setlist, uh, this song was played by Slayer disappointingly just 14 times in their career and they haven't played it live since August the 27th 1985 in Portland Oregon so seemingly forgotten by them bit of a shame that doc I think so too um, it's such an obvious live it, it seems to have live staple. It seems to mm. have. It seems to have set closing lives. Uh, lives. No, not set closer. It seems to have encore live staple mm. um, written all over it. I can only imagine um, that they felt that it wasn't in keeping with their kind of more thrashy progression as, as you know as, as they as they moved on. I, I, you know, maybe they, maybe you know, in my opinion, incorrectly, maybe they were a little bit embarrassed by it. Or do you think there's an even more mundane explanation? Do you think they were just unable to do the vocal harmonies live and the song didn't sound right without it? Well, that's an interesting point, yes, yes. Um, so they dropped it in 85. If my, if my maths is good here, that would have been on the tail end of their Hello Waits tour, uh, just, as, just, you know, just a few months before they were going to drop raining blood on the world. I mean, maybe it's a combination of the two, but I, I, I do think it's a bit of a shame um, that, you know, that, 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 that this song seems to have been lost in the, in the mists of time to, to the band themselves. Um, final thoughts on, on, on the song, please, good doctor. Um, everything you said is correct. Um, it is out of place. It doesn't really sound like a Slayer song, mm -hmm. but there's a place for one of those on every single album that every band makes. Mm -hmm. Um, it's um, proof of proof we needed that no matter how well hidden and no matter how dark Slayer really do have a sense of humour about themselves mm. they are capable of having fun they're capable of cutting loose it's 
a great big joyous tribute to a bunch of stuff that the members of Slayer really, really liked. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the reasons it didn't make it as a staple into the live set is being thought of as a piece of pure self-indulgence. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's riff on a bunch of our favourite New Album fans, mm-hmm. uh, 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 New bands and New Album songs, and let's just do one of those. We know mm-hmm. it's not really a Slayer track, but hell, it sounds great. One thing um, we touch on, Doc, as, during our uh, previous discussion, was the production on this. We've discussed the production on this album a few times. Now, to my mind, this is the most kind of balanced production we've heard so far. You know, co- compared to Black Magic, where Tom's voice is kind of buried in the mix. And I think Metal Storm had problems with the, the guitars being, sorry, the, sol- the guitar solos being really low down in the mix. Here, everything seemed balanced just about right. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had a couple of songs on this album where um, the drums sound like they've ambled in from a Jesus and Mary Chain song. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a couple more where um, the vocals sound like they were like sort of recorded from with a, a, a toy tape recorder um, in a cupboard in the next room to where the mm-hmm. actual vocals were were, were taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, I could hear the bass on this track. I know, astonishing. Um, no, I mean, by, by far the most competent, I might even say borderline polished oh my word. production. Praise indeed. Are you, are you ready to um, bestow your scores upon the world? I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, is, this is a very, very difficult call for me because I know what I should really be doing in, 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 in awarding swords out of ten. Um, is considering how well a song functions um, as a song and how well it functions as a Slayer song. This is a borderline parody, a borderline novelty um, track. I don't ever, now that I've learned that it was never played live a great many times, Mm -hmm. I don't think it was a misstep from the direction Slayer thought they were going in. I think it was a determined, very, very purposeful tribute, oblique stroke, homage mm-hmm. to a bunch of stuff they liked. And I can't even call it a Slayer song. Mm-hmm. For that reason, and for that reason alone, I'm going to have to mark it down to six the Quescent Swords out of ten. Oh, still not bad. Still not bad, six. I, I, think, that, I think that's fair enough. I agree, I agree with pretty much everything you've just said there. I think it's, I think it's a rollicking good, fun song doesn't really belong in Slayer's back catalogue, but I'm really glad it exists. Um, I'm going to give it seven mutated Moskals out of ten. Okay, that about does it for this episode. Don't forget to contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slaytanicvercast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we'll be discussing the next track from Show No Mercy, entitled, rather curiously, Cryonics, with an X, because it's futuristic, it? Hope you enjoy it. See you next time, Doc. See you later. Bye-bye.